Ephesians chapter 3, first 13 verses is what we're looking at today. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelations there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light What is the administration of the ministry, which for ages has been hidden in God, whom created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident Access through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Father, I ask you now to give us ears to hear, to give us eyes to see, to give us minds hungry for truth. And Father, we would be overwhelmed and we would understand the privilege of being in the body of Christ. And yet, Father, the promises of being in that body and the passion that you instill in the people who are overwhelmed with this mystery that has been revealed. Thank you, my King, for this letter. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the gracious gift of our salvation through the person of Jesus Christ, sealed by your Holy Spirit. Father, may we each take great joy in our salvation that others may understand. In Christ's name, amen. I remember a story I heard some time ago, and I was thinking about it this morning. Back in the 1600s, the Puritans were in the northeastern United States, and there was a pastor who took a church, and his opening message was he began an exposition of the book of Isaiah. He uh, was the senior pastor and preacher at that church for 20 years, and at 20 years he died. When he died, he was in Isaiah chapter 8. 
That's a little too thorough for me. (laughs) But I share that because one of the things that I read in Scripture over and over and over, and I see especially in the Apostle Paul, being that he wrote most of the New Testament, is repetitive. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we learn by repetition. And we learn it over and over and over and over again. In this letter, the heart of this letter, the six chapters that make up the letter to the Ephesians, is the concept of being in Christ. In Christ. Because the Apostle Paul understood that in Christ, it is non-divisible. There's nothing you can do to break that. Uh, That text that I read out of Romans 6 speaks of the baptism into his death so we can be raised to walk in the newness of life. And the next phrase is that we have been united with him. We have been united with him. And that's where I use the illustration of the Jesus biscuit. So we've gone from a pickle to a biscuit. Anybody hungry yet? But anyway... We are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's indivisible. You can't separate it. There's no division possible. What can separate us from the love of God? He says, nothing in creation. So the only thing that can separate us from the love of God has never been created. Okay? That means we are one with every believer. In Christ. Even the little prickly ones. And if you think about it, what a message. What a message. The position of the believer in Christ, that's the unity. We have to know our position so we understand and comprehend the unity. We've already looked at it that Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of my stewardship. Steward, and I shared with you this, the steward of the house doesn't own nothing. The owner of the house has it all. The steward takes care of it. That's what you and I have, brothers and sisters. We have a stewardship. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how how much theology you've got. You're still a steward. God has given you. The mystery of the church. God has made one body that even Jew and Gentile are one. Verse 6 says that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Unity is at the heart of this message. It is the heart of this letter. We are one in Christ Jesus. I have to keep repeating that. We are one with those who are in Christ. All of us are one. Those who stand out, 
They're not. And they're obvious. They don't have the unity. There's absolutely no distinction. Look at it from this perspective. The same indwelling life of God in our souls of every believer. There's no difference. It's not that some have half a tank of Holy Spirit and some got four-eighths of a tank of Holy Spirit and some got this much Holy Spirit. No, you get the whole deal. The whole deal. Do you understand that? You know, I'm running on empty on the Holy Spirit. There was a guy who had a ministry and he called himself the Holy Spirit bartender. And I thought, oh, there's a job. And I remember he came here to Castle Rock and he says, it's my ministry to stir the Spirit up in believers. You know what's scary about that? They were paying the guy. The barriers that are between us have been abolished. They've all been abolished. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is that of the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Alright, what he just said there is that all of the sacramental laws that the Jews had, bye-bye. It's all gone. We don't need it. Why? They've been fulfilled. On the front side of the cross, those are all shadows of what's to come. On this side of the cross, we live in the reality. That's why we are one. One new humanity. We looked in chapter 1. We saw the mind of God. Before the world began. In chapter 2. We saw the plan of God that was in His mind before the world began. And how it unfolds in history. Redemption. We are in chapter 3, and Paul has given us that definition. What does it look like? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, you are one body. One humanity now. The divisions are gone. We must grasp this. I will probably repeat it until I get over into chapter 4. Because I know that in this body... There's disunity. We can all look pretty good when we come together for Sunday. But I see other things. I hear other things. Chapter 1, we see the church in the mind of God. In chapter 2, we see the church unfolding in redemption. In chapter 3, we get the details of that redemption. Chapter 4, this is how we act in light of God's plan, in light of God's redemption, in light of the details that have been given to every child of God. God had 
I want you just think about this for a second. Okay? We go to church. Well, it's too cold. It's too hot. I didn't get everything done yesterday that I needed to get done. So I'm, I'll, I'll do it Sunday. It won't be that big a deal. Well, let me ask you something. Do you understand that God has had an eternal love affair with the church from before creation? I want you to think about that for a second. And then you tell me what's the priority over being with the saints. What's the priority? To think that God before creation had an eternal love affair with us. God makes us one. He makes one new humanity. Listen. There is still Jew and there's still Gentile. There's still Greek and there's still barbarians. Okay? There's still male and there's still female. I remember a professor one time tried to tell me that we were all going to be 33-year-old males in heaven. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. Time out. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm into that. I know 33-year-old males. I don't want any association with them at all right now. Okay? And he said, well, why? And I says, well, according to my Bible, we are as different as the stars in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are all out there. They're all out there. But now there is a mystery revealed, he said. It was revealed by revelation. It was made known to me. I wrote about it in brief. And he dealt with that in chapter 2. One body. One new body. It, it is Christ in the world. The church. It is the body of Christ manifest before lost and dying people walking in depravity. It's a mystery never before understood. It is a mystery that has never been seen. It is a mystery that had never even been thought of. Listen to our news now. We were called the United States of America. Can anybody tell me when that was? I don't remember that. I know they were really ticked off with the English for a while. But then if you go look at what we did to get our Constitution, our Declaration of and it's been a part ever since. We don't look at unity. We can't comprehend unity. I mean, we always talk about Blood is thicker than water, so the relatives are all... Listen, I grew up with family reunions. They were the greatest dread of my life. There's them people again. You think I'm kidding? Well, I have one cousin who's a professional hog farmer. Okay, you ain't lived... Until you've been on one of those for a family reunion. If the wind was blowing the wrong way, you're thinking, what am I doing here? And how in the world would I be hungry for anything? 
See, God hinted this unity. Jew and Gentile. That's the basic cut of humanity. You're either Jew or you're a Gentile. And they'll say, well, what about the Gentiles and the, or the Greeks and the barbarians? Well, the barbarians was any Gentile who couldn't speak Greek. Okay? So that was a barbarian. You know what that, that makes me a barbarian. But you guys knew that. God gave hints in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 28. You know Genesis is the first book, right? Alright. And he gives the thought that the Gentiles would be blessed in those chapters. In Psalms 72, he drops a thought, God does, that the Gentiles would bless God, the God of Israel. Just throws it out there. I've shared with you the 70 weeks of Daniel. But he doesn't tell you that in between the 69th week and the 70th week is a gap of time that you and I are in. The age of the church. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 60. The prophet of God said that the Messiah would come to the Gentiles. Hosea chapter 1 verse 10. And Amos chapter 9 verse 11 came the word that the Gentiles would be saved through Messiah. This is one of those things, you know, I listen to people and they say, well, you can't prove any of this stuff in the Bible. And, you know, it contradicts itself all over the place. And I'm sitting there going, you have revealed without a doubt that you're a moron. Because you haven't read it. I've read it several times. And I'm sitting there going, you're telling me that a sycamore farmer named Amos knew about Messiah? You're telling me that a guy named Daniel was taken prisoner by the Babylonians when he was a kid and raised in the king's kingdom, predicted to the very date that Messiah would die? Just lucky. Just lucky. Boy, good thing Vegas wasn't around when he was here, huh? Joel chapter 2, verse 28. God would pour out His Spirit, not just to Israel, but on all flesh. See, God was hinting. Little glimpses here and there of this great secret Little small insights. Now God has made it real. Now it has been seen. We call it the New Testament era. Paul, the apostle of the mystery. Paul pours forth the fullness of what it means to all believers. 
We are one in Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to get a hold of this a little bit and think a little deeper on it because I want you to understand this is not a friendly agreement. Because I've had people, are they, well, it's already begun. People will call a church. Well, do you do weddings? Uh, no, I'm already married. Well, what about your building? My building doesn't do marriages either. I mean, it does a lot of things, but it doesn't do marriages. Well, can we use your building? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Okay. Well, see, my grandma's Baptist, and we want to get married in a Baptist church. Really? And I don't, hey, whatever, man. Okay, I don't. In Colorado, you can take your vows in front of a microwave. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's easier to get out of a marriage in Colorado than it is a car lease. I'm not sure it's cheaper, but anyway. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't laugh about that. But anyway, so it's not a friendly agreement. Okay, it's not an alliance. We will all align. Uh, a number of years ago, there was uh, a document that came out, TCP, uh, that where they wanted the evangelicals, the Protestants and the Catholics to get together for moral transformation of the United States. And so all of them sent their really smart people together and locked them into a room. And I, to this day, I'd give anything to be been a fly on that wall. Because there are some big guns there. I mean, a representative from uh, the Vatican was there. The chief apologist for the Catholic Church was there. You had R.C. Sproul was there. You had uh, Packard was there. MacArthur was there. And uh, they didn't sign the paper. (laughs) I was like, well... You know, you know, well, we know we're all against abortion. Well, that lines us right up, doesn't it? Here in Colorado a number of years ago, we had a Amendment 11. And some brilliant man decided that there should be no tax-exempt status for anybody. Okay? And so all the churches were freaking out. Oh, we don't have tax-exempt. How are we going to keep the doors open? We have to pay property taxes, this, that, and the other. And uh, they were trying to get us all together. So I went and listened to their spiel. And I was astonished because <laughs> we're sitting there. And, uh, you know, there's some guys there that I knew that were pastors. And, you know, we've got to defeat this. We've got to defeat this. And the keynote speaker was the head of Colorado Planned Parenthood. Because of tax-exempt status. And I said, now we're getting a really strange group of people, huh? Okay, that ain't what it is. It isn't an alliance. You know what? It ain't even a peace treaty. God wants oneness. That is God's will. That is God's desire. Unity. That's the message. That's how we... Do you realize that's how we manifest Christ in this world? That's how the world knows of our Messiah is the unity of the church. Did you know that there's no plan B? That's the only way. Because we, the church, are his 
body. See, this is God's eternal plan. We looked at that in chapter 1. We looked at it in detail. Okay, but it was also Christ's prayer. If you want to look at the Lord's prayer, okay, that would be John 17, the whole chapter. But I want you to think about this part of his prayer. The first part of the prayer, he prays for himself, that he will glorify the Father. The second part of the prayer, now this is before he goes over to the Mount of Olives for, to be arrested. He's got the disciples in the upper room. They've just done the Lord's table. And he's sharing with them what's getting ready to come down the pike. Okay, so then he prays for them. All right? And he concludes his prayer for them. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. That's verse 19. But look what he says next. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Okay, let me ask you a question. Has that been answered? They were sanctified by the word, right? And we believe in him how? Through the word, right? Amen. Still in the same sentence. That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me. And I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you see why the Apostle Paul was so ecstatic about being in Christ or in Him? You know why? It's the answer to Christ's prayer. Anything you pray in my name, it will be done. Do you think Jesus knows the will of the Father? Do you think Jesus knew the will of the Father when He prayed this? So, if the disciples were sanctified in truth, and the others would believe because of that same truth, and we know that those worked, then why not the oneness of being in Christ, and it is similar to the relationship the Father has with the Son, and vice versa. You ever thought about that? We should. It should never go far from our heads. I was teaching in Sunday school this morning. The joy of my salvation. You know what? I have to say, as a believer, I have a hard time seeing the joy of people's salvation. Maybe they're like stealth Christians or something. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But I tell you what, I don't care what you're going through. Your salvation should be able to overrule it. 
I don't care what your heartache is. I don't care what your pain is. I don't care what you're struggling with. You're going to spend eternity in the oneness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What down here beats that? I shared, think about this. In eternity past, in eternity past, before anything was spoken to existence, God so loved His Son that He wanted to show a sign to His Son. He, I want to give my Son a gift that shows the massiveness of my love for Him. So he came up with a plan. Chapter 1 of Ephesians. You know what that plan is? You and me. You and I are a gift from God the Father to the Son. All that the Father has given me. But the Son says, I need to show the massive love I have for my Father. So I'll pay the penalty of sin and make them as holy as me. And I'll present them back to the Father. And when I do that, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church will be one. That sounds kind of important to me. Maybe a little bit. God cared so much that He made this plan. And if Christ cared so much that He prayed it and wrote it down in Holy Writ, and if Paul cared so much that he was willing to lose his life at the writing of this letter, Ephesians, he's been in prison for five years for teaching oneness in Jesus Christ. If God cares so much and Christ cares so much and Paul cares so much, shouldn't we? Okay. There's a principle here that I want to just deal with quickly. It's foundational. And it's... You guys know that I I meet with a whole bunch of different church leaders at different times. And I listen to, quote-unquote, ministry. Ministry, another word for ministry would be service. Okay? What is your service? There's foundation in this understanding here in Ephesians. In the letter altogether. That are two things... That I would say are foundational, are basic, whatever words you want to use that make up ministry. Two things. Okay? Teaching and prayer. That's foundation to ministry. I don't care what your ministry is. If you're doing it to the will of the Father, teaching and prayer. In Acts chapter 6, the apostle, they were having some problems with Jewish widows. Because it's still in Jerusalem. And the apostles didn't want to get involved with feeding the widows or taking care of and, and all the rest of it. Because they wanted 
to give themselves to prayer and the Word. That's where you have the introduction of deacons. Deacons is a table waiter. I want you to go take care of these widows that are in the church. They've come to Christ. Now they have no ability to do anything for a living because the Jewish people would shun them. I told you I had a friend of mine who's gone to glory who was Jewish from Baltimore. He came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He called his parents back in Baltimore and says, I found Messiah. I've been saved. They hung up on him. Two days later, they had a funeral for him, put his headstone in the family plot in the cemetery in Baltimore. They never identified him again. He was dead to them. Okay? The word and to prayer. If you go look through Paul's letters, his epistles, he reminds them that he prays for them daily. It's really staggering if you think about it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I make mention to you always in my prayers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Guess what? I make mention of you. We have no record that the Apostle Paul ever went to Colossae. He just prayed for the saints that he knew of by word of mouth. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul taught and he gave the word of God. All right, we've got to... Listen. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17. You should know this one. Every believer in Jesus Christ should know this verse. All scripture is inspired by God. You know what the word inspired means? What the original word means? It's breathed. It's breathed by God. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Okay? The Word completes us. But once we are complete, we should always be laboring in prayer. How many of us labor in prayer? Jesus broke out in sweat in prayer. I don't think he just wrote that down so you and I could have it and say, Oh man, it must have been hot that day. No, it was a passion. Labor in the word and labor in prayer. And I use the word labor emphatically. It takes Work. Listen, if it's not that important, let me ask you a simple question. Why is it so hard for us to do it? 
Why? Why is it? Oh, I'm running late. I better not read my Bible read. I'll, I'll, I'll catch a, some kind of show on the radio or something. It doesn't say listen to the show on the radio. It says you need to be in the book. And if it's that important, look how simple it is. You ever thought about it? how difficult is it to pray? You ever thought about that? Oh, okay, I'll let you off the hook for the Bible. I didn't have one in my hand. But how hard is it to pray? Those are the two powers that we have and we neglect them. And we wonder why we get our lunches handed to us. Both are necessary. Listen, First Thessalonians is one of my favorite letters ever. The first four chapters is an amazing church. I mean, you just read through that. You have a love and a hope and a faith that just it is, you know, you guys are doing so much that what God's doing in your city with your church has been heard throughout all of Christendom. Now, I know it had to be the radio program or their magazine publication or the preacher must have been published or something. But they had heard it all. And then in chapter 5, he deals with the second coming because some people had lost loved ones and like, did I miss the second coming? And then he just rapid fires everything at the end of it. You know what he says in 5, 6, 17? Pray without ceasing. You've got good doctrine. It's obvious. Look at the works you're doing. You know that Thessalonica is not in the book of Revelations. Do you know there's never not been an evangelical church in that city since its birth by the Apostle Paul? To this day, you can go to a church that was founded by the Apostle Paul. There's never. It's been under Ottoman control. Church was there. Nazi control. Church was there. Communist control. Church was there. Always been there. They're both necessary. Thessalonians reminds us that we should give thanks And he says, and I give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Two parts of ministry. Listen, if you haven't figured it out, this is what moves me. You'd have never guessed that, would you? I have people say, well, you know, you get done and you usually shake the visitor's hands or something. And then you go in the back. You know why? I gotta pray for you, knuckleheads. I hope they got this thing. I pray. I preach, I pray, I teach, I pray, I pray, I teach. That is two parts of ministry. That is what moves me. I teach, I pray, I pray, I teach. You know why? That, brothers and sisters, is the front lines of the battle. I hear people talk about spiritual warfare. I got news for you. If you ain't teaching and you ain't praying, you're losing. That's what it's about. There's an old Jewish saying. I can't remember who told me this. might have been Norm, the Jew that was disowned by his family. But it came to me when I was pulling this together. Face God 
for the people before facing the people for God. That's pretty good if you think about it. You got to do both. I get into the book, I'm facing God. Spend my time looking at Him. What is it you're into? Then I come out here and I give it to you guys. Teaching is for comprehension. Praying is for the power of application. Paul, it's, it's really simple. Let me explain it to you and then I'll pray for you. We must understand it before we can apply it. I know people out there right now trying to apply it. And you can tell they're trying. And God bless them. <laughs> they're trying. In so many ways they're trying. But if they don't understand their position in the body of Christ, then they are trying. And if you think about it, it's common sense. The power of God cannot be used to apply something can the truth that you don't understand. See, the Apostle Paul understood the passion necessary in prayer. But he also understood the passion necessary in preaching. We teach the Word and then we pray. He gives us an illustration of that. Remember? Chapter 1, 1 through 14, he gives us the information. In chapter 1, 15 through 23, he prays they get that information. That's what we're dealing with here in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Remember, for this reason, he starts. And then he says, I need to be more definitive about this. Let me repeat myself. Why? So you get it. I'll repeat myself. And he doesn't, he picks it back up again in verse 14. For this reason, what? I pray. I bow my knees. That would be prayer. See, he was going to start coming right out of chapter 2. I want to pray for you. And he says, now wait. Let me be more definitive. He goes back through it again. And then bang. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee. Listen. Do you understand? That's what God has called each of us too. If you're saved today, that's what you've been called to. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be no preacher. I don't want to be no Sunday school teacher. I don't want to do that. Uh, do you have a home? How about co-workers? How about walking down the sidewalk and you run into somebody? I can share my testimony anybody I run into. The other day I shared it with my dog and she didn't get any of it. But I didn't expect her to. She's kind of a knothead. I did pray for her though. <laughs> I prayed that her owner didn't kill her. No. <laughs> it should be for all of us everywhere, all the time. Home, work, impart truth. Scatter seed. Scatter seed. And then when you get done, pray. Get on your knees with passion and zeal for the person who heard. Pray that God, by His Spirit, would empower the words that you imparted.
That's what he's called us to. That's what we're dealing with. That's what this is about. I pray that each and every one of you, uh, Amy's handing out directories, those directories, I pray that you'll take that thing and go through every one of those. And when you run into somebody like, well, who's that? Then the challenge is on. Find out who it is and begin praying for them. There's no reason, as small as we are, we shouldn't know every one of us, our kids, grandkids, and then some cases. No, I'm just saying that. I'm not picking on you. I'm being good. I'll be nice. <laughs> Why shouldn't we? We should be praying for them. We should be praying for each other. We should be praying. You know what? They listen to that knucklehead all day Sunday. You know what? I pray that they get it so he won't repeat himself. That is the oneness that we are in, brothers and sisters. I rejoice. You know, don't you dare tell Danny. I rejoice more in baptism than I do doing weddings. Okay? Don't get me wrong. I haven't really done that many weddings if you think about it. I mean, I think five Six. Yeah, six. And several of them I've had to call them up and express to them my disappointment and the choices they've made and the stupidity of not being in a church has come to haunt you in such a way that now you are going to divorce. Brilliant. And that's exactly how I say it. Okay? Because I tell these people, when I do your wedding, understand... I will give an account for you before my God, and I ain't letting you out of this thing. You shame my God, I will explain to you, you are shaming my God. And then I smile at him and says, because evidently he ain't yours. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> you, guys, you guys know how I am. <laughs> I want you guys to understand these things. Baptism is more encouraging, especially I wasn't in the water, but it's more encouraging to me because this is a person who says, my confidence before my Lord Jesus Christ is, I will publicly freeze my rear end off for God. No, I will publicly trust this man not to hold me underwater. (laughs) because <laughs> normally I get people say fifty dollars you hold it under, <laughs> but anyway. But do you understand? This is someone who says I am united with Christ, and I'm going to take this first step out there of confidence with my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want all of you to hold me accountable. And so, guess what? I will. I will. We teach. And we pray. He can be the best teacher in the world. If you don't pray that God empowers him, guess what? It won't matter. That's what the Apostle Paul has shown us, what ministry is here. 
so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You understand where that's at, right? So that the rulers and the authorities in heaven will understand the mystery that you and I are a part of right now. Cherish the church, brothers and sisters. Father, I come before you, the author and the finisher. As Paul prayed for the hearers of this letter in Ephesus, I pray for the hearers in Castle Rock. Father, that they hear what is being said. They will understand the oneness that is there in Christ Jesus. Father, it overwhelms me every time I dwell on it and think on it and meditate on it. And yet, Father, it stirs the joy of my salvation in ways that I have become intolerable. Thank you, my King, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for salvation that poured from heaven. And thank you that you allowed us to be a part of a plan that was made before creation and that we are bearers of this great mystery. And that, Father, our lives would reflect the oneness that Jesus prayed in his prayer. Thank you, my King. We love you. Thank you for believers' baptism. And Father, and thank you that Danielle is running out of time. <laughs> we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.